Hey, 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 happy Friday, Met fans. How are we all doing? Enjoy the day off yesterday? Refresh your baseball brain. Take time to analyze what's happened in the season so far. Take time to look forward to what's going to happen the rest of the season so far. Well, don't rest too easy. We got a double dip for the, against the Phillies, and we're going to be busy from here on out to the All-Star break. But that's a good thing, isn't it? That's what baseball is all about. The daily grind. The fun. Something new every day. Working out the kinks. Riding the hot streaks. Waiting for the cold streaks to end. That's what it's all about, my friends. And we can do this. We can do this. We're still in first place. Look at those Washington Nationals. They've come out of nowhere. They're now in second place. Anything that happened in like a 10-day span, and we're seeing that happen here. And of course, as we progress closer and closer to the All-Star break, and once we reach the All-Star break, that means one thing. We're damn close to the trade deadline. Now, what are the Mets going to do come the trade deadline? What are their needs? We know Joey Lucchese's finished for the season after tearing his UCLA. UCLA. I'm thinking about Bill Walton, Wall Hazard, and Gail Goodrich there. UCL. UCL. And the uh, pitching depth that we thought we were going to have throughout the whole year is virtually non-existent now. As Carlos Carrasco, Noah Syndergaard, and Jordan Yamamoto aren't even close to returning from injuries. And the best case scenario is even if Carrasco were to return by the end of July, should the Mets feel confident enough that he and other members of the rotation remain healthy? Now, the good thing is, there's a lot of rich teams out there who are going to fight for the pennant, and there's a lot of teams who are probably like a dozen or so that are probably just going to be sellers because, let's be realistic, realistically, they don't have a shot. And they'll be looking to shed contracts, and that happens every year. Now, the only bad thing about this, this is, and this is what I hate, is we lessen our prospect pool. Probably have to give up some prospects along the way. Now, I just rule of thumb. Most of these trades don't work out. And if they do, it's only for like that half a year, a year. So that you really want to mortgage the future. I'm one who never, ever does. But we'll see what happens. Now, the Mets are sitting close with a $200 million payroll. And that leaves them about $10 million worth of uh, additional space before penalties would kick in. Now, remember last weekend, Uncle Steve said he uh, intimated that the Mets would either stay under 210 or blow past it with the third option just going over the threshold by a full few million. Not really palatable. <clears throat> now, could the Mets engage the Twins about Jose Barrios? Uh, he's worked in the past with Jeremy Hefner. Or could we go big time and go Hinjin Rue? Uh, he's not even through a four-year contract worth $80 million with the Blue Jays. <clears throat> and that move would, others would put the Mets into the area Cohen looks to avoid. So it's going to be interesting. There are other names out there, Matthew Boyd, Merrill Kelly, Louis Castillo. They all could be appealing to the Mets. Uh, but the perfect storm, if all goes well, might be finding a veteran with a non-contending team who is looking to unload money and just get rid of a contract and uh, basically wouldn't push the Mets up against the luxury tax threshold. 
Uh, one guy you want to keep an eye on is Wade Miley. He's the Reds left-hander. He's, he's earning about $8 million this year. And he's got a club option. That's always key for 2012. And he's seventh among pitchers with a three-point baseball reference war this season. Now, if the Mets try to upgrade the lineup, third base will likely be the spot. J.D. Davis has got the team shrugging their heads right now, and his injury is really frustrating them. And there's still the question what he will be defensively when he returns. Now, Jacob DeGrom, when are we really going to let him go? Uh, he's been pitching great when he's been pitching, but he hasn't topped 85 pitches in a start since April 28th when he threw 93 against the Red Sox. And only once this season has he reached 100 pitches. Now, you know that Jake throws the ball so hard every time out that it's. I'm always waiting for something to go wrong, and I don't want it to go wrong. Don't believe me, and I'm not, I hope I'm not cursing anything. But part of reduced pitch flow can be explained by shortened starts because of discomfort, elbow, shoulder, and caution returning from a side injury. But it's also clear the Mets are looking to preserve the Grom's bullets and have concern about his health, which I'm all for, by the way. I'd rather have five or six fantastic innings than seven innings of stretching him and maybe not even knowing what's going to happen the next start. Now, the way the Grom has pitched, uh, it's going to be... Could get to the point where Rojas has to face uh, stomach-churning decisions on whether or not to leave the ace in the game to chase a no-hitter or removing him in late innings on the side of caution. Well, we saw what the Red Sox did yesterday with Veda, and the Cubs pitched a nine-inning no-hitter with four pitchers. So, uh, to me, a no-hitter is not even a big thing anymore. So, uh, let's just put that aside. If DeGrom's pitching six six innings of no-hit ball and has 100 pitches, take them out. Simple as that, take them out. Uh, people are going to forget about the no It's not like the no-hitter doesn't have the status it once did. Uh, a perfect game, I'd say, okay, keep them in there maybe. <laughs> a perfect game is a perfect game. But a no-hitter has lost. The value of a no-hitter has been diminished. Now, the next two weeks is going to be a grind for the Mets. we got the Phillies, the Braves, the Yankees, and Brewers on the schedule. And if we head into the All-Star break, and get out of it still in first place, we get a little bit of a reprieve. So the second half of July is going to be kind of nice. We play the Pirates, Reds, and Blue Jays. And that could help us either start building that lead back up or even build it even further if we can just hold the court. Because it looks like no one in the NL East is going to take a take hold of this. I know the Nationals are 9-1 in the last 10, but don't forget, they're on a hot streak. Every team gets hot, every team gets cold. So we'll see what happens there. Now, the question is, who's going to bat lead off? Jeff McNeil or Brandon Nimmo? I say Nimmo. You put that on-base percentage machine in there. Uh, he's going to rejoin Nimmo, the team, in the next Met road trip. And that could mean as soon as Monday. And over the first month of the season, Nimmo was among the few players producing an 870 OPS. And let's face it, when he's in the leadoff spot, that's where he's most comfortable. So to me, it's case closed. Nimmo's your leadoff man. Put McNeil second. And I'm, I'm not, I don't know why Alonzo, like, they have to bat him second. I'm old school. I think you get those first two hitters on. You got Alonzo coming up with two guys on. I know it means an extra few bats during the, during the course of a regular season. But I say get those two table setters on for uh, Alonzo and Conforto. And boom, we'll take it from there. Then Alonzo third, put Conforto fourth. And I think we'll be okay with that one, two, three, four spot in the lineup.
Now, the bench mob, what's going to happen to them? Uh, the front office is going to have to make some tough decisions. Jose Peraza was, has given the team a boost defensively and shown pop. But he does have a minor league option remaining. Essentially fills the same role as Louis Guillaume, who also has an option. Billy McKinney and Albert Amore Jr. are likely competing for one spot. And we see Bill McKinney's average really plummeting lately. So, like I said, the cream rises to the top and everything settles after a while. And I think these players are who they are. It's just the timeliness of what they've done has been so, so helpful to the Mets. And sometimes timing is everything, right? Now, McKinney's out of options. And like I said, he's been fading since he helped carry the team in early June. And Omora, who has an option, is highly regarded for his defense. So that will be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, But like I said, the thing I'm really looking forward to is having Brandon Nimmo back. Uh, And I think that's the main focus of the Mets right now, is Brandon Nimmo. Uh, I just love the guy. I think he's a potential all-star. Actually, I think the year he was having was an all-star, and I think he's had all-star numbers in the past. But people just, for for whatever reason, take him for granted. Don't take him seriously. Uh, He's continuing his rehab assignment for AAA Syracuse. And like I said, the Mets are expecting him back probably on Monday. Now, he spent close to two months on the injured list after tearing a ligament in his left hand that was initially thought to be nerve damage. And he began his rehab assignment with Syracuse on Sunday. Now, within the last week, the Mets have returned McNeil and McConforto from the IL. And uh, right behind Nimmo on the rehab trail is J.D. Davis. And he's been sidelined since early May with a hand injury. And Nimmo and Davis were the guys, the only two guys really hitting for the team in the beginning of the year. So the Mets have come a long way since they've been out. Uh, and Davis has been working out with the team. He might begin a rehab assignment soon. Now, Diaz's save Wednesday was his third of the season of more than three outs, so he's been stretching it a little bit. He entered with one out in the eighth against the Braves and didn't allow a run the Mets 7-3 victory. It was Diaz's 16 save and 17 opportunities this season. Uh, and Diaz has done well. Hats off to Diaz. Uh, trade may not be that bad after all. He's pitched with 2.73 ERA and a 1.04 whip in 30 appearances with the Mets this year. He's been great the whole year. And when he's on, he's on. He lights it up. Now, what's going to be interesting is Zach Wheeler's schedule starts Sunday's finale against his former team in a strange twist. The Mets opponent will be Gerald Eikhoff, who used to pitch for the Phillies. Eikhoff and Wheeler have never started against each other. But then I see the Grom against Wheeler, but I think Jake is going on Saturday. So it's going to be a great series with Philly, that's for sure. I'm looking forward to it. All these series are great. Uh, baseball's back, baby. Baseball's back. And how about Michael Conforto? Uh, is he playing for a contract or what? <laughs> I think he's won more than anyone who wants a division title and... Uh, he can reap the free agent riches. Uh, but he's not the only one with much at stake with free agency approaching. The Mets, they already took care of Francisco Lindor, and he wasn't even one of their own with a 10-year, $341 million pact. And I'm not sure if they're going to regret that, but we'll see. I think it's something they had to do to show that the Mets were serious about competing. But I think Conforto, because he's been a career Met and he's been with us since even the glory days of 2015, 
he'll be the one they want to keep the most. And uh, when you're talking contract with Conforto, what are you going to give him? Uh, are you going to give him something like George Springer, six-year, $150 million? Man, Maybe that's why we didn't spring, pardon the pun, for Springer last year. Uh, he did have better stats, Springer, than Conforto from 2017 or 2020. And Springer has the ability to play center field, and he's shown he can perform in the postseason. Now, Conforto will be free following his age 28 season. Springer was age 30. And I don't know like who really, really would be serious for Conforto. Uh, who knows? Maybe even the Yankees will get in the mix. Wouldn't he be a nice left fielder for them? Uh, the next, I guess, walk year lefty outfield bat belongs to Kyle Schwarber. And right now he looks like Babe Ruth. So we got to wait for the dust to settle on him. And then after that, you got... Marcana and uh, Starling Marte, and they'll both be 33. And to me, you don't even touch those guys. Uh, although Kana's uh, OPS is 140 plus since 2019. And how about Marcus Stroman? You gotta love the fire he's given the Mets. And uh, it was only him and Kevin Gosman who accepted the 18.59 million dollar off calling offer last year. Uh, they laid, they rolled the dice and gambled on themselves, and boy, are they coming up big winners. Which leads me to the idea, and I hate to be cynical, maybe every player should have a one-year contract. <laughs> but anyway, Gosman actually leads the majors in baseball reference wins above replacement, which is amazing. Now, Stroman, this is his age 30 season, so he's doing this with more strikeout power uh, than we thought he would. And we'll see what happens. I mean, thirty is an interesting number to start dealing with age-wise when it comes to these uh, free agent contracts. Now, Stroman's dealing with a hip issue, but they, it's probably not going to cost them any starts. Uh, a reference point may be Dallas Keuchel. Uh, he was a ground ball machine, and he signed a three-year, $55.5 million pack following his age 31 season. And Stroman, uh, from the opposite side, a right-handed ground ball machine. I don't think he's going to go for less than four years at the same four years at the same average, so about seventy-four million total. I think he'll be shooting for five years at a hundred million plus, especially if he continues pitching like this. Noah Syndergaard, what's going to happen with him? Uh can he come back for the last four or five weeks and convince the organization to make him a qualifying offer? He would be 29 in 2022, and that's a good age to be at. And who knows? Maybe he gets an extra couple of years on his basketball in his career from sitting out all this time. Uh, and maybe next year he could do the same thing as Stroman and just earn his way to a big contract. Hey, how about Drew Smiley, though? He made five strong late-season starts for Giants last year, and Atlanta gave him a one-year $11 million pack. So, Syndergaard's going to get the money. It's just depending on who is going to take that gamble on him. I would like to see him remain a Met. I think he loves New York. I think he loves the New York spotlight, but we'll see. Then there's Kevin Poir. He has a $2.9 million uh, 2022 uh, player option. And I, if I were Pilar, I would take that. I think he's found his little niche with the Mets. 
Now, he does lack above-average stats, but it's just his overall presence and his ability and his toughness and his character, which has showed so much to the Mets, and he'd be a great reserve outfielder. He's energetic. He gets that timely hit. He can play third. Ken Villar. Now we're talking about Villar here. And uh, he's another one. You just want him on the franchise. So Pilar and Villar, hopefully we can stick them around. And then also you got to consider Dellen Batensis, Jerice Familia, and Aaron Loop. Uh, veteran relievers. They all signed modest deals, $3 million or less per year in the offseason. Uh, and Loop has proved to be quite the bargain. He's probably the best out of all three. And Familia is now on the I.L., uh, and Batances, I, I don't know what's going on with him, but Familia will complete his three-year, $30 million pack and enter the one-year to phase time part of his career, I believe. He's not going to get a contract like he did. Now, can Batances even get there? And since 2018, he's only appeared in 17 games with a 7.3 ERA in the past three seasons. Can he be healthy enough? Or if he is, is it going to be? he's going to get hurt again. So my deal with Batensis is, uh, I think he's a former Met come next year. Hate to be cruel about it, but you got to be realistic. That's just me. Now, if you're a casual Met fan, I don't know how you feel about the black jerseys, but it's been a sticking point with all the Met fans. Now, Steve Cohen is, I think sometimes he likes to stir the pot with his little tweets. And he came out and said uh, the other day, he tweeted, all I know is we are one day closer to the black jerseys. Nothing else to compliment that comment, but we'll see. Uh, Club Source said the tweet wasn't in- indicative of a plan for the Mets to unveil those alternate black jerseys during Friday's doubleheader. Instead, it seems that Cohen was alluding to MLB's new All-Star Game uni- uniforms, which players will wear this year. It's the first time players won't wear their own team uniforms in the All-Star Game. That is going to be kind of weird. Uh, uh, I'd rather see the team be represented by wearing the team colors, but what are you going to do? Uh, Cohen's plan is to bring them back, those black jerseys, on some basis. Uh, the alternative black jerseys were the first unveiled in the 1990s, and they were stopped wearing them in recent years. And last weekend, Cohen said MLB still had to approve the black jerseys. Hey, whatever jerseys the Mets wear, I'm fine with. But I just don't like black as a jersey color to begin with. I know that was like a fashion statement back in the late 1900s, early 2000s, what have you. But I think it's worn its course. And people say, well, it's reminiscent of a 2000 team. That's fine and dandy. But uh, just like the 73 team didn't win at all, the 2016 didn't win, 2016 didn't win at all. 2010 didn't win it all, so I don't know how much of a tribute that should be. I think you have to win it all to actually earn those accolades. Oh, one other thing I want to touch on before we go to the break is Tyler McGill. What another solid performance. He pitched a solid performance. Just when we needed it the most, he pitched four and a third innings, allowed two runs on three hits, and the Met fans really appreciated it. He got a standing ovation, but what was funny was after he left the game, he got around the booze. No, he didn't get around the booze. The umpires that stopped him on the way to the dugout got around the booze. And a 25-year-old, 25-year-old was the man that had dreaded foreign substance check. And that spoiled his special moment when he was going to get all the cheers from the Met faithful. 
and the Met fans booed the umpires until the search was completed. Uh, and even the broadcasters, and uh, Keith and Ron, they were saying, it's unbelievable that they actually did that to spoil the moment that McGill was enjoying. Gary Cohen said, talk about a buzzkill. I mean, he's getting this great ovation walking off the mound, and they're going to do a strip search. Well, welcome to baseball 2021, guys. Uh, and even if he was caught with an illegal substance at that point, he's coming out of the game. What's it going to matter at this point? <laughs> uh, Ron Darling came out and said sarcastically, they want to make sure he doesn't stick, stick to his steering wheel. Unbelievable. Uh, McGill, again, what a great performance when we need it the most. He was called up from AAA Syracuse on Wednesday to pitch against the Braves with uh, Marcus Stroman and uh, Joey Lucchese injured. Uh, but this just added to the insanity that's been checking these pitchers. We saw the Max Scherzer, Sergio Romo thing uh, checks. That was crazy. Joe Girardi almost blew a gasket. Sergio Romo almost dropped all his uh, undergarments. Uh, Sergio, was actually, Sergio was actually searched three times Tuesday. And one of those was a request from Joe Girardi. So that's going to be an interesting rivalry from here on out. And we're going to take a short break. We'll be back to Rocky like we normally do when we come back. Okay, welcome back, folks. Who's ready for some Mets Jeopardy and some Mets trivia? I know I am. Hope you are, too. Well, today's trivia question, we're going to fire that one at you first. At what college was Cleon Jones a standout baseball and football player? Yes, today's trivia question is, at what college was Cleon Jones a standout baseball and football player? Now today's Mets final Jeopardy. Who's ready for this one? Today's final Met Jeopardy, two clues. Was a Yankee when selected off waivers by the Mets? Second clue, pitched seven innings, two-hit ball against the Cincinnati Reds, while Reds pitcher Bill Bonham also held the Mets scoreless. Reliever Neil Allen allowed a run in the eighth, and the Mets won one, and the Reds won one nothing. We'll be back with the correct answers at the end of the podcast, so lock them in. And we'll be right back at you with some of the answers. Okay, we're back. And we're going to celebrate a lot of birthdays today. Seven, actually. How about that? A lot of Mets born on this day. First one we're going to start with is, can you guess? Can you guess? Yes, Alejandro Peña. Born on this date in 1959. He wore number 26 with the Mets. He pitched in 96 games. Pitched a lot of games in relief in 1990 and 91. 96 to be exact. War number 26 with the Mets. Now he was traded with Mike Marshall by the Los Angeles Dodgers to the New York Mets in exchange for Ron Samwell. Then the Mets traded him to the Atlantic Braves for Tony Castillo and Joe Roa in 1991 at the end of the season, towards the end of the season. All told, he won nine games, lost four, saved nine, and, and 2.9 ERA over two years. Happy birthday to Aaron Seeley, number 30 with the Mets. The Mets signed him as a free agent in the offseason before 2007, and he pitched in 34 games with us, all in relief, 53 innings pitched, uh, three wins, two losses, 5.37 ERA. Happy birthday, Aaron Seeley. Born on this date in 1970. Also celebrating birthday today, Michael Tucker, number 22. 
He was signed as a free agent by the Mets on April 26, 2006. Jay witnessed the whole year, played 35 games, 56 at-bats, and batted 196. Happy birthday, Michael Tucker. Also celebrating a birthday, Carlos Delgado, fan favorite, war number 21 with the Mets. Ah, yeah, how did we get him? We got him from the Florida Marlins. It was a steal. They gave up Mike Jacobs, who's a highly regarded prospect, but never really developed into much. Is Miro Petit and Grand Pasomas. And the Carlos was with us for four years, three solid years, six, 2006 or 2008. Uh, he put up some numbers. 2006, 33 homers, 114 RBIs. 2007, 24 homers, 87 RBIs. And then in 2008, 33 homers, 115 RBIs. He was off to a pretty decent start in 2009. But a right hip impingement put him on a DL from May 16th of 2009 until the end of the season. So he missed almost the whole season with the Mets in 2009. Now he did lead the National League and sacrifice flies in 2006 with 10 with the Mets. And he was a good, good bat for the Mets in their, one of their best offensive periods ever. So happy birthday, Carlos Delgado. He was born this day in 1972. Happy birthday to Kane Davis, born in this date, 1975, number 48. He was with us in 2002. Uh, pitched in 16 games, 14 innings, no starts, all on relief. And uh, he had a 7.07 ERA. Kane Davis, happy birthday. A happy birthday to Kevin Howard. Who remembers Kevin Howard? Anybody? Well, it's his birthday. He was born in 1981. And how about Franklin Kilome? Born this date in 1995. Pitched with us in 2020, the COVID year. Pitched four games and had an 11.12 ERA. And on this day, unfortunately, we lost a Met. Uh, Jim Hickman. Uh, Jim was with us for five seasons. He got a lot of playing time with us from 62 to 65. All told, he had 1,824 at-bats and 624 games played. Over a five-year period, hit 60 homers with 210 RBIs and batted 241. Uh, one thing he wasn't proud of, with the record still has been broken since, he established a mid-season record for strikeouts in 62 and 96 and 120 and 90. In ninety, in sixty-three, he had three two-home run games with the Mets, and he had one, two, three, five games where he had four more hits. Uh, basically, an outfielder, he played all the positions, but primarily a center fielder. He did play left, he played right. Sixty-three, the his prominent position was third base, where he played fifty-nine games. So, you could put Jim anywhere, and he he would uh, try to do the best he could. He wore number 9, 27, and 6 with the Mets. And unfortunately, on this day in 2016, he left us at the age of uh, 79. Now, as we always do, we're going to go back in time. We're going to go to the time machine. Now, who's ready? We're going to take a trip to Milwaukee. Maybe visit Laverne and Shirley. Maybe have a cup of Miller Lights while we're there. But the date is Thursday, June 25th, 2015. And let me set this up for you. Terry Collins' Mets were at one of their lowest points this season. They were riding a seven-game losing streak. Now, that started in Toronto. 
dragged through Atlanta, and was now ending in Milwaukee. The Mets were at 500, 37 and 37, but the good news was they were in second place just three and a half games out of first. Now, 33,354 fans attended the Miller Park matinee in Milwaukee, as Craig Council's Brewers, who have a horrible year, 27 and 47, hosted the Mets. Who was pitching for the Mets? Jacob DeGrom, reigning rookie of the year. And he was sent out there to patch things up. Now, the lineup for the Mets was Curtis, Curtis Grandison batting first, playing right field. Ruben Tejadas batting second, third base. Lucas Duda batting third, first base. Michael Kadire batting fourth, left field. Wilmer Flores batting fifth, shortstop. Darryl Siciliani batting sixth, center field. Kevin Pawecki batting seventh, catcher. Jacob DeGrom, yes, Jacob DeGrom. They put him in the eighth hole, and he was pitching. And Dilson Herrera batting ninth and playing second base. Uh, big lineup, met bat in the lineup for the Brewers those days was Ryan Braun. He was the right fielder. He was batting third. Jonathan LaCroix was pretty good. He was uh, the catcher. Adam Winton was the uh, first baseman batting cleanup. But back to the game. DeGrom was outstanding, shutting out the Brewers for eight innings, scattering just four hits. DeGrom didn't walk anyone and struck out eight Brewers along the way. Now, Mets manager Terry Collins was ejected in the fourth inning while arguing an outcall as Darrell Ceciliani was attempting to steal a second base. Now, with two outs in the sixth, Michael Kadire singled. Wilmer Flores then doubled on the left field line, bringing in Kadire with the first run. In the seventh, Jacob DeGrom, Dilson Herrera, and Curtis Grandison all singled. Now, after a pitching change and Ruben Tejada striking out, Lucas Duda managed to slap a base hit against the shift on him toward the shortstop position. The Grom scored with all he needed for the 2 nothing win. Jerice Familia came on for a perfect ninth, and the Mets had snapped their longest losing streak of the season. Now for the Grom, these were different times. It was already his eighth one of the year. <laughs> Getting him to 8-5 with a 2.15 ERA, one of the league's best. Also on this date in 1976, after striking out, leading the, off the game, uh, his 21st consecutive hitless at-bat, after striking out leading off the game, his 21st consecutive hitless at-bat dating back to June 6th, Mike Phillips hits for a cycle in the Mets 7-4 victory over the Cubs at Wrigley Field. Now, the New York third baseman doubles in the third, triples in the fifth, homers in the seventh, and completing the feat with a single in the eighth. Way to go, Mike Phillips. Friday afternoon in Chicago. Gotta love it. Then on this date, uh, in 1989, the Mets, with fly-ball pitcher Sid Fernandez on the mound, play a nine-inning game without recording an infield assist, beating the Phillies at Chase Stadium 5-1. The Amazing set a National League record and tied the Major League mark, joining the 1945 Indians as the only team to accomplish this unusual fielding feat. So a lot of good stuff happened in Metville. Now we talk about what's going on in the baseball group, New York Mets Baseball Way of Life. If you're not a subscriber to it and you're on Facebook, look us up, New York Mets Baseball Way of Life. It's a great group, and we talk Mets round the clock on that group. So check it out. You won't be disappointed. Uh, and if you listen to this podcast, please do subscribe. Whoever your carrier is, please do subscribe to the podcast. You'll be ordered every day, and we'll try to get one up here every day, and most of the time we do. So you'll be alerted as to when we do get that podcast. And if you ever want to reach out to me, I'm at philstan41 at gmail.com. 
would love to hear from you. Positive, negative, whatever it may be. Feel free to leave your comments and make suggestions, whatever. That's what I'm there for. Uh, one of the things we discussed in the group was, with the Mets pitching staff depleted, would you be willing to trade a top prospect, say like Ronnie Mauricio or Brett Beatty, to get a top-of-the-line pitcher? Well, two-thirds of you said no. One-third said yes. Now, me personally, I'll have to go with the no. I think we're still in the rebuilding stages here. We're laying the foundation down. And part of that foundation has to be the young players coming up. We can always get bargain basements to fill in spots for a month or two. And I think that's the way to go. You want to build up players who are true Mets from the day they sign a contract to the day they leave the Mets. You don't want to get rental players who are established veterans who aren't going to be hungry. But that's just my opinion. I respect everyone's opinion, but I'm just giving you my opinion. And there you have it. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, do you want to talk about it? That post is still up there. You can leave a comment. And uh, we can talk further. But that's one of the things we're talking about in the group. So uh, that's it, baby. For now, and we'll talk about more what's going on in the group in future podcasts like we always do. Okay, that's going to wrap it up for another podcast here. I want to thank all you guys for tuning in. Like I said, your support means the world to me. And I'm so glad you guys are listening and enjoying this. Uh, what we're going to do now is look forward to tonight's Twilight Doubleheader. Should be a fun one. Two seven-inning games. Let's see what's happening. Let's rock and roll with this. First game's at 410. We got Taiwan Walker going for the Metsies against Aaron Noah. What a great matchup. When Aaron Noah is on, he's one of the best in the business. So it's going to be a fun one there. Then in the nightcap, which probably starts about a half hour after the first game ends, we're going to have David Peterson, 2-3, 5.31ERA, going against Matt Moore, 0-1, 7.36ERA. So hopefully we can do some damage this weekend against Philly, put up even more space between us and the team we love from the city of brotherly love. We'll see what happens. We'll be here to talk about tomorrow. So same bad time, same bad channel. Tune in. And we'll be back to talk about it tomorrow. Enjoy the day. Enjoy the game. Enjoy the big weekend series with the Phillies. And we'll talk soon. Be good. Let's go Mets. And as promised, here are the answers to today's Met trivia question and Jeopardy question of the day. Once again, the trivia question was at what college was Cleon Jones a standout baseball and football player? Well, if you said Alabama A&M University, you are correct. And congrats to Harvey Porras, who was the first in the group to get it. Congrats, Harvey. And today's Met Final Jeopardy. Who remembers today's Met Final Jeopardy from yesterday? Raise your hands. Okay, we're going to run it by you again. The first clue was, was a Yankee when selected off waivers by the Mets? Second clue was, pitched. Seven innings of two-hit ball against the Cincinnati Reds, while Reds pitcher Bill Bonham also held the Mets scoreless. Reliever Neil Allen allowed a run in the eighth, and the Reds won the game 1-0. The correct answer is... Who is Doc Ellis? That concludes our Met Trivia and Baseball Jeopardy questions of the day. Talk to you tomorrow.